Direct from your nation's capital, this is Inside Washington with Congressman Dan Burton. A timely, insightful analysis of the news and views affecting central Indiana and the nation. And now your host, Congressman Dan Burton. Hi, I'm Congressman Dan Burton, and uh, this is another special edition of Inside Washington, a program where you get to know the inner workings of your nation's capital here in Washington, D.C. Today I have the distinct honor and privilege of having on a, a good friend of mine who's been on with me before, uh, Congressman Kurt Weldon. Congressman Kurt Weldon was born in July 22nd of 1947. That was the same birthday that was my wife. Exactly. She was older, but it was July 22nd. And uh, he was the youngest of nine children. He grew up in a blue-collar uh, uh, family uh, neighborhood and uh, was the first of his family to graduate from college, Westchester University of Pennsylvania. I think that's what it was, wasn't it? Kurt served as a mayor of Marcus Hook, and prior to that he was an educator in Delaware County and served as a volunteer fire chief. And he's really big with the volunteer firemen around the country, and they really love him. Uh, he's a Republican congressman from the 7th Congressional District of the Keystone State, Pennsylvania, which includes uh, Upper Darby, uh, King of Prussia, Radnor, Drexel, Hill Media, and Springfield. Uh, congressman Weldon is serving his 10th term, is the most senior Republican member of the Pennsylvania delegation, and has taken numerous leadership roles in the House of Representatives since his first election. Uh, in 1987. He serves as a vice chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, which has jurisdiction over the Department of Defense, and uh, notably he serves as chairman of the committee's Tactical Air and Land Forces Subcommittee. He also serves as the vice chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, very important committee, which has jurisdiction over the Department of Homeland Security and funds for our first responders, and serves as chairman of the Intelligence Information Sharing and Terrorism Risk Assessment Subcommittee. And he's also the proud member of the Science Committee. My gosh, how do you do all that, Kurt? Which focuses on the nation's non-military scientific research and development efforts. And he's also actively involved in the Congressional Fire Caucus. In fact, he's a big kahuna there. The House Oceans Caucus, the Duma Congress Study Group, and remains the only Republican on the Migratory Bird Conservation Commission. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which seeks funding for our nation's wildlife refuges and wetlands. And I think that's great. I just was a little upset with that. Uh, uh, as Americans are turning on their radios and televisions and they surf the web, they continue to see a violent and unpredictable world around them. Recent events in Afghanistan, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, and North Korea give every American reason to pause. And so today, I want to talk to Kurt, who's an expert on important international issues, in particular weapons, and a leader in the House of Representatives on, uh, on uh, uh, military issues. Uh, Kurt, as a major champion on these issues and a guy who really knows uh, what's going on, uh, you've traveled all over the world. You've gone to uh, Russia and met with many of the members of the Russian Duma, their legislative branch. And we had a, a, a similar show with you in 1999. And I was going to run that show again in Indiana because at that time I thought it was very timely, and it was. And it was about the potential for a terrorist coming into the United States of America with a suitcase nuclear device which could destroy two or three city blocks, kill a lot of people, and put radiation, dirty radiation, into the atmosphere and, and, and kill a lot of people. 
And uh, at the time we talked about it before, I think you said there was 80-some of these devices created by the Russians, and there were only about 35 that were accounted for, 40, something like that. So there were 35 or 40 or 50 that were unaccounted for. And I wanted to revisit this issue with you today and maybe talk about some other issues like North Korea so that uh, the people of Indiana and possibly Pennsylvania and across the country can see firsthand what we were talking about then, which is more relevant today because the technology advances that have taken place, especially with Iran getting into a nuclear program and, and uh, uh, the terrorist uh, activity around the world, we really need to be thinking about devices like a nuclear device that can be carried in a suitcase or a small bag or something. So I'm going to turn it over to you and let you talk about how you learned about this and what these things look like. I'd like for the people of Indiana to once again see the mock-up of it, which, uh, which you brought back from, uh, from Russia. Well, thank you, Dan, and it's great to be back with you. You're one of the real leaders in the Congress on a number of fronts, but especially international affairs. Um, and uh, your work has just been inspiring for me to watch. And um, you've been on some of the cutting-edge concerns that today we're having to face down as this terrorism uh, develops even more aggressive around the world. Um, and I want to say a word to your firefighters because I know them all in Indiana. I've spoken at your state good group of guys. firefighters conference on probably three occasions. And Larry Curl and all the good guys out there are personal friends of mine. And they all support you real well because you've been a stalwart in support of the firefighters. We have 32,000 of those departments in America. 85% of them are volunteers. 32,000? 32,000. 32, I didn't know there were yeah, that 1.2 million men and women. And your state probably has somewhere between seven and 900 volunteer fire companies. It's a great state and a great volunteer state. Um, well, they all love you, buddy. Yeah, they're good people. <laughs> so it's great to be here with you. And, you know, as we face the threats today, the American people have to understand that these threats just didn't develop in the last couple of years. These are not George Bush's threats. These threats developed back in the 90s when we should have been doing more to stop proliferation and understanding that the breakup of the Soviet Union really was causing their technology that they built to use against us in the Cold War to be able to be sold to our enemies. Like the, the small briefcase nukes? Like the devices. suitcase nukes. I mean, we know that the Soviets built small, what they call, atomic demolition munitions. They talk about it in their strategic doctrine, their written military planning. And they talk about sneaking these kinds of devices into an enemy's territory, in the case of the former Soviet Union, into the U.S., and putting them by ports, by uh, utility plants, by nuclear power stations, by dams, and then detonating them. The difference with this kind of a device is you don't put it on the tip of a missile. You sneak it in, and it can be camouflaged as a rock. It can be carried as a suitcase, or it could be as small as the briefcase I have here. How much do these devices weigh as a rule? They're not very heavy. This device that I have, which was built by a former CIA agent, uh, is what a, what a normal suitcase would, would be like that you'd carry to work. But inside of it, you have a, a gun-fueled device that was actually designed by our Department of Energy. And back in the Clinton administration, they put the design on their website of, of all the stupid things. That's how we got this design. And, and it's uh, a nuclear device. It's, it's a nuclear device. And when you put have a small amount of weapons-grade plutonium, which is difficult to get, but you can get it, and you cause this gun propellant device to activate, which one person can do, you could cause up to one kiloton of damage. Now, now explain by, what that means, one well, kiloton. Well, by comparison, Hiroshima was about 15 kilotons. So a one kiloton device, if you place it in the heart of Indianapolis, would wipe out the entire downtown area, City Hall, and probably an eight-block 
block radius around City Hall. Eight blocks. That would be total devastation. But then you'd have radioactive contamination throughout the entire area of Indianapolis. And I know you have a very large city because it keeps expanding, but everybody in that region will be adversely affected. And the hysteria caused by the emittance of of nuclear contamination would just, it would basically devastate uh, the entire how, state. How many casualties would you estimate? Indianapolis and the metropolitan area, the whole metropolitan area is about 1.3 million, 1.25 million? Probably 300 to 400,000 people would w be killed. Would be killed e either immediately or? In the aftermath. In the aftermath from cancer and other radiation right. uh, issues. And that's from a briefcase A size. small atomic demolition munition, or what we commonly call a suitcase nuke. Now, how did I learn about this? And I was the one that broke this story back in 1997. Um, Yeltsin was running for re-election as president of, the, of Russia, and he had two candidates opposing him. One was the communist, Zuganov, and the other was a retired two-star general. And this retired two-star general was named Alexander Lebed, very popular. Mm -hmm. Yeltsin knew if Lebed stayed in the race, he would pull enough votes away from Yeltsin that the communists would probably win. So he had to get Lebed out of the race. So he offered him his top security advisor job. So Lebed left the race, went to work for Yeltsin for over a year as his national security advisor. Yeltsin won re-election. Lebed was for one year in charge of all security for the entire country of Russia. Well, obviously, after Yeltsin won, he eventually got rid of Lebed. And that was when I was taking my delegation to Moscow. It was May of 97. We sat in Lebed's office, and I said, General, tell us about your military. And Lebed's a former prize fighter, huge man, gigantic fist, talks very slowly and deliberately. He said, Congressman Weldon, our country's in military's in total disarray. Our best war fighters, our best Soviet generals and admirals have left the service of the country. And they've left the service of the country because they're not being paid, because morale's terrible. <clears throat> because they're not being given benefits and soldiers are committing suicide and these generals and admirals feel betrayed by the motherland. So they're selling off the technology that we developed during the Cold War to use against you and they're selling that technology to your enemy. And boy how right he was. Then he went on and he said, let me give you an example. When I was at Yeltsin's side, he tasked me to account for all of the small atomic munitions that we had produced. He said, I knew the figure was 132. And he said, we knew that was the number that we had to account for. He said, as Yeltsin's personal advisor, we searched all of our Ministry of Atomic Energy facilities, all of our military bases, all of our strategic forces command, and I could only find uh, something like 50, which meant that there were 80 unaccounted for. And I said, General Lebed, where are the rest? And he looked at the delegation, and he shrugged, and he said, I don't know. So they could have been sold to Iran, yes. Iraq, and I think you told me earlier that there were sold there were to Iraq some very uh, important uh, technologies Absolutely. dealing with nuclear weapons. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, Russia during that time period, we caught Russia 20 times in the 90s illegally transferring technologies to Iran, Iraq, Syria, Libya, and North Korea. The technologies included chemical precursors for chemical weapons, biological technologies, uh, nuclear technologies. We caught them transferring guidance systems for missiles. All of that's illegal. But we caught Russia 20 times where we could have and should have imposed sanctions. Now, was this, was this before the Soviet Union broke up or after? No, the it was after. after it was fact. from 91 until 98. 
This was back during the, the Clinton, Clinton administration. administration. The total amount of times that we imposed sanctions on Russia was less than five. Five out of the number of times, 20, that we caught them. Now, why would that be the case? Because Clinton didn't want to embarrass Yeltsin. And so he wouldn't say anything publicly that might embarrass his friend. So, so there were, uh, let me, I want to make sure I got this right, there were 15 times, 20 to 15, 15 times we that there were, they were not held accountable yes. for selling these weapons to Iran, Iraq, Syria, Syria, Libya, and, and other terrorist and organizations. Korea. All yeah. the five countries that we've been concerned with. Yeah. And what, what uh, Lebed explained to us is, that I don't know where these 80 devices are. He said they could have been destroyed. They could be waiting in storage. They could have been sold to someone. We just don't know. So I come back. I brief the CIA. And I say, now, what's this answer here? The, the General Levitt's telling me they can't account for them. In, the, in a classified session, the CIA says, well, Congress, we just don't know what the answer is. We know they built these kinds of devices. We don't know the answer. Now, I didn't go to the press. But when I filed my trip report in July of that year, a producer for 60 Minutes Leslie Coburn read my trip report, and she called me and said, did General Levitt really say this? I said, absolutely, I wouldn't lie. So she said, would he say it on national TV? I said, I'll give you his number in Moscow. Mm -hmm. Calls assistant Shalva Bruce and ask him. In August of that year, 1997, 60 Minutes interviewed myself and General Levitt. The lead story in September of 1997 on 60 Minutes was the public announcement the General Levin said Russia could not account for approximately 80 small nuclear devices just like this one. But then the story gets worse. Because the next day, the Russian foreign ministry called Levin a liar. They said he would not have been able to know this information, and he's only looking to run for office again. And they trashed Levin. But the day after was worse, because the media asked our spokespeople, and a press conference was held. And the Clinton administration publicly said to the American people, we have no reason to doubt the word of the Russian government. So then I had the Russian government and our government denying that this was a problem. So in October of that year, I brought over a top Russian academician who runs the top environmental uh, center in Russia. His name is Dr. Alexei Yablokov. And I had him testify before Congress. And he said on the record, what Lebed said is true. He said, I have colleagues in the Academy of Sciences who worked on this technology, who built these devices, and you, America, must help us find them because otherwise we're all going to be threatened by them. In December of that year, I had a face-to-face -face meeting with the Russian defense minister in his office in Moscow. His name was Marshal Sergeyev. And I said, General Sergeyev, he and I had gotten along. I said, you want me to help you with the problems in your military? You want me to help you with housing for your troops? Yes, Congressman, I need your help. I said, then you have to help me. I need to know the truth. Lebed told me last May that he couldn't account for any devices. Your, public, your foreign ministry has said you never built these devices. So, General Sergeyev, I need to know the truth. Did you build them or not? In December of that year, Marshal Sergeyev looked me in the eye and said, yes, Congressman, we did build these devices. And I assure you that by the year 2000, we will have them all accounted for. That was in 1997, after the Russian government and our government downplayed the threat yeah. and pretended it wasn't real. So this, the nuclear suitcase story all came out of that interchange, and today we still don't know. We know it's possible to build these devices. This design was taken off of the website of our Department of Energy. Back in the Hazel O'Leary days, 
when the administration said, let's all stand in a circle and hold hands and sing Kumbaya, <laughs> you know, the world's changed. It wasn't changed. Well, why don't, why don't we uh, show uh, the, the, the people in my district and in Pennsylvania, because hopefully they'll get, get a chance to see this, what a potential nuclear device looks like in a, in a little suitcase like well, this. Well, this is briefcase. basically a, a briefcase, and it's very, fairly simple. And the design okay, again... Can you focus on this, guy? Was, well, the, the design again was taken from uh, the, um, the, the website of, uh, of the Department of Energy. And basically it's a gun-fueled artillery device where you have to have at a power source, which would be a battery, an arming mechanism, an ordinary switch. You've got to have a, an ability to have a neutron generator, which are tubes that you can get from, uh, that used to be in all of our old TV sets. And when you arm the mechanism, uh, you cause a high explosive to force the, the, the uh, device inside of this, of this uh, gun to smash into the, um, the critical material, which is the weapons-grade plutonium. That causes the nuclear reaction that causes the explosion. It's a very simple way to design a low-yield nuclear weapon that would probably be one kiloton or less. Our, okay, now, now let's go through what, what that would do again. It would devastate downtown Indianapolis. Now, it's about one-fifteenth the size of the Hiroshima, Hiroshima bomb. Yes. And it would blow up eight square blocks, probably. Yep, kill everyone and, in that area. And kill almost everyone in that area. And so if, we, if one went off around the Capitol, it would destroy all, the, all of our, uh, the Senate office buildings, yes, our everything. office buildings, the Capitol, and probably kill all of us. Yep. And, uh, uh, and, then, us and, and, then the, and then the radiation would uh, be up in the air. It would cause mass hysteria. And it would cause mass hysteria and kill as yep. many as a, a couple hundred thousand people. Absolutely. Now, this and is that's just from a little bitty suitcase like this or briefcase like this. Th this is an actual um, what we call small atomic demolition munition that both our military and the Soviet military built. We built these also during the Cold War to be used at strategic sites. But ours have basically all been removed from the inventory. And they've and, been accounted for. And the Russians know that. But there's about 80 that are not accounted for. Now, According to General Levitt, but then you have the potential, which is far easier than this, of building, uh, taking a conventional weapon and surrounding it with nuclear waste. Now, that wouldn't cause the devastation of a small nuclear device, but psychologically, it would convince everyone in the area that they had been okay, well, let, let's talk about... The, That's a dirty nuke. Yeah, let's talk about the, the technology transfers that have taken place from Russia to Iran, Syria, North Korea, and so forth. This kind of technology, uh, if Iran becomes a nuclear power like they're talking about, could be used not just for missiles and ICBMs, but for a device like this that they could carry into the United States in a briefcase and blow up a, 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 a major city. Absolutely, and Dan, it's worse than that because we're wondering why Iran's this problem today. Back in 1997, we had information that the Israelis came out publicly with Netanyahu made the statement. Maybe Netanyahu, the former prime minister. Right, of the, yeah. and Israel had evidence that um, Russia was cooperating with Iran on building a new missile system. Well, we called the CIA over, and the head of nonproliferation at the time was Dr. Gordon Ehlers, an outstanding public servant. And he made a mistake that you didn't make back in the 90s. He told the truth. He told members of Congress in a classified briefing that Netanyahu was right. We had the same information that Russian scientists were working with the Iranians to build a new missile system that would be able to hit Israel directly and ultimately develop into additional capabilities to threaten all of our friends in the Middle East, eventually Europe, and eventually the and U.S. And the 55% or so of our energy supplies that come from the Middle East. So we introduced a bill 
you were a prime sponsor of the bill called the Iran Missile Sanctions Act. Right. You shouldn't have to pass a bill that tells the administration to enforce a treaty. I got called down to the White this House. This was during we, the Clinton administration. Uh, it was in 97. I got called down to be briefed by Al Gore. And for an hour, I sat in the room with Al Gore and John McCain and leaders of both parties in the, in the executive office building. And Al Gore said to us, you can't pass this bill. You're going to embarrass President Clinton. And we said, but Mr. Vice President, you don't understand. If Iran builds this system, it's going to create havoc in the Middle East. A week later, we voted that bill, and 398 members voted yes, slapping the administration across the face. We broke for the holidays and came back in February, and the Senate was going to take up the same bill. I got a call to go back down to the White House. Again, it was the Vice President, Leon Firth, the Security Advisor, and Jack Caravelli from the CIA. And the Vice President lobbied 10 of us not to pass the bill in the Senate. And when he finished, I said, Mr. Vice President, we're not trying to embarrass the President, but you have to understand, this technology is going to threaten us and our friends down the road. He said, we, we don't want you to pass it. The Senate voted. 98 senators voted yes. That summer, the summer of 97, President Clinton vetoed the Iran Missile Sanctions Bill. And we didn't have time to override the veto. Two years ago, Iran paraded the Shahab-3 missile system down the streets of Tehran. It's done. Nine years after, we in the Congress voted to stop it overwhelmingly. In both houses. In both houses. That system is now deployed. It is capable. And they're working on the Shahab-4 and the Shahab-5, which will threaten Europe and eventually will threaten the U.S. And the worst part, Dan, if they take that system and put it on a freighter, with a low-yield nuclear weapon that we know they're pursuing, and off of our coast launch it over our territory, they're not going to try to nuke us. They will detonate that nuclear weapon in the atmosphere, and that will give off an electromagnetic pulse. The electro electromagnetic pulse would shut down our entire economy. It would fry the electronic components in our air traffic control system, our electric grid system. It would shut down our buses, our trolleys, our cars. This is Iran you're talking about doing this. That's right, because they already have a missile system. All they need is a low-yield nuclear weapon, put the system on a freighter off of our coast, and they've already done tests on this. The CIA has seen it, and well, launch it over our eastern coast. So it, it, it's absolutely essential that we not allow Iran to develop a nuclear program because they will use it. They're a terrorist state, and they will do whatever is necessary to use it. They will absolutely use it. And Dan Ayatollah Khamenei, who controls Amani Jad, the president, has established direct linkages into Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, and al-Qaeda. Even though they don't all get along, they all have one thing in common. They all hate Israel, and, and they all hate America. Yeah. And so it's extremely important that we pay attention to the information which you've garnered and that the government of the United States has to make sure that these nuclear weapons devices are not produced, including this suitcase nuclear device or briefcase nuclear device, which could destroy the economy of any city and, and throw, cause havoc in, in, in an urban area. Well, we know what happened with the World Trade Center <clears throat> attack. You magnify that by probably a factor of a 1,000. And that's what you'd have in America if that kind of a device were able to be detonated in one of our cities, especially mm -hmm. in Washington. Well, they probably would detonate it in a, in a major city. Uh, I don't know whether it be Washington or New York, but uh, it wouldn't. I mean, if they could get it into the country, it wouldn't be any problem carrying it into downtown that's New York. That's why immigration Washington. control is so important, because they understand they're not going to try to come in through an airport. They're going to go down to Mexico and try to sneak across the border. Or they're going to go up to Canada and come through the border there. 
Yeah. I mean, our borders are porous right now, and unless we pass the tough immigration bill that we passed in the House, which you support it, um, we're not going to be able to stop that kind of entry into our country with this kind yeah. of a device. But the thing, the thing that really troubles me, in addition to the immigration issue, which we're working on right now, and I hope before we get out of here we at least secure our borders. If we can't deal with the immigration illegals who are here, we ought to at least secure the borders. But the thing that bothers me is that Iran is still hell-bent for leather to develop this nuclear program. And they're now supporting Hezbollah and Hamas and the PLO all and all the terrorist organizations. And we got that war going on in the Middle East right now. And, and, and I'm, I'm really nervous about these nuclear weapons that are so small that they're going to be very hard to detect. I'm not trying to scare uh, the people of Indiana, just like we weren't trying to in 1999. But here we are seven years later, you and I once again still talking about this issue. But today we realize that the nuclear th threat is greater by far than it was seven years ago when we first talked about this, when we first knew about this. And, and, and Iran is now on the brink of developing a nuclear program and could be developing this very kind of briefcase Absolutely. today. My prediction is Iran will have a nuclear weapon within two years. Now, the CIA says it'll be longer. They say by perhaps the end of the decade, if they're lucky. Israel says within a year. I say within two years, Iran will have a crude nuclear weapon. One of these devices. They or, could make one of these devices in the next couple of years. Or one small nuclear weapon <clears throat> on the tip of a Shahab missile launched over our territory. We wouldn't know who launched it because it would be from a freighter. The devastation would be unbelievable. It would shut down our society as we know it. As far as all the electronic technology EMP. we have. We have an EMP commission. They've issued a classified report to the Secretary of Defense. He was so alarmed by what they came back. These are top scientists in our country that he sent out letters to all of our military services challenging them to come back with their plans to harden to deal with an EMP laydown. We're not prepared for that yeah. kind of an attack. Well, you know, you and I went down to meet with the uh, uh, NSC people a couple of years ago about another issue. I think what we ought to do and what the people at home who are frustrated by watching this show and thinking, oh, my gosh, what might happen? Uh, I think what we ought to do is we ought to uh, once again present this information and maybe even show this tape to some of the people down at the White House at the NSC and let them know that this is the kind of thing that uh, we're all concerned about and that Israel and the United States and our friends over in the Middle East have to do everything possible to make sure that this thing does not happen. Because once it happens with these terrorists, they're going to use it. I mean, and, you're right, Dan. Amani Jada said publicly that he will be happy when Israel no longer exists on the face of the earth. But they know that that will not happen unless they take on the U.S. I mean, we, we don't have to look far. I mean, I was in Great Britain two weeks after the attack on their subways, meeting with Tony Blair. I talked to the Spanish after the attack on their trains. I was in Beslan at the school where 370 children were massacred, and I was at the World Trade Center. <clears throat> All of these attacks are from the same people. They are the Islamo-fascists that want to shut down not just America, but Western civilization as we know it. The free world. Yeah, and this is not about a war in Iraq. This is about what their goal is. If you read the writings of Ayatollah Khomeini and Zawahiri, and if you look at what Ayatollah Khomeini and Iran wants to do, it's all the same. And, and we have to be vigilant, and that's what you and I are trying to do. And you know, uh, President Chavez of Venezuela is in Iran right now working with them, right. which is of great concern to us because that's in our own hemisphere down in Venezuela with all the oil money he has. I think he's got $3 billion in reserves, and he's got a, 
uh, a couple, about a hundred million dollars a day coming in. And he's working with Castro and Ortega and Morales, all leftists down there, communists down there. So we've got a lot of work to do. And I, I, I am so happy that you're in the Congress. And I hope that uh, after Duncan is no longer chairman of uh, Armed Services or uh, National Security, that you're the man. I think you'd be a great chairman, and I will do everything I can to help you because you're a man who pays attention to what's going on and you do your research. We're about out of time. Is there any? We got about thirty seconds. Anything I just want to say, Dan, that you're a great member to work with. You're an outstanding leader, and I hope to work with you as chairman of the International Affairs Committee. Uh, you'd be a dynamic one, and I want your viewers to know that as difficult as these threats are, we're on top of them. Yeah. We're going to protect them. They shouldn't be alarmed. We understand the gravity of the threat, but in the end, we're going to prevail. Well, you've heard it from an expert, and if you listen to Kurt, you know he knows what he's talking about. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you next time. This has been Inside Washington with Congressman Dan Burton. If you would like to write Congressman Burton regarding these or any other issues, please do so at 2185 Rayburn House Office Building, Washington, D.C., 20515. To reach Congressman Burton by phone, dial 1-800-382-6020.